Hey y'all, welcome to RUF. My name is Simon Stokes, and if this is your first time at RUF, I just want to say thanks for being here. I'm really glad that you're a part of this tonight. Um, if you're curious at all, RUF is a community of people that don't exist for themselves, but they exist to love and serve this campus, because we believe that God loved us first, and so because of that love, we can love other people out of that. Um, let me pray for us and get started here. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've given us in your son, that we have all of your love, your joy, your welcome, your compassion. Lord, I pray that uh, your word be made real to us tonight, that in him and through him we have all these things. We have one another and we have you. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, so I don't know if you've uh, watched any of these or seen any of these or even heard of these, but I watched a uh, TED Talk recently with a researcher whose name was Mandy Lynn Katrin. And what was interesting about this was that earlier in the year, Katrin had published an article in the Times entitled, To Fall in Love with Anyone, Do This. And so I was just like, all right, interesting. I'll bite. Uh, and it, she talked about how she'd been doing some research as a scientist on couples and found that simply by asking a series of 36 increasingly personal questions and then staring deeply into one another's eyes for the next four minutes, the chances of falling in love with someone went really, really, really way up. So go. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Stir in the pot. <laughs> and initially, I think like a lot of us would be, she was really skeptical about this, but she was also pretty intrigued. And uh, she found that when she herself actually did it, like she actually participated in a study, that it was so effective that she fell in love with her partner, like for reals. And she talked about this in the article in the Times. And as you can imagine, after it's published, her love life becomes kind of this international like thing. Like all of a sudden, she's an authority and falling in love. And one question that people kept asking her over and over and over again was, "Are you and the guy still together? Are y'all like still in love?" In other words, does this really work? And as she reflected on these things, here's what she said. And bear with me, it's a little longer quote. She said, "What I want from love is a guarantee." Not just that I'm loved today and I'll continue to be loved tomorrow, but that I'll continue to be loved by the person that I love indefinitely. And maybe it's the possibility of a guarantee that people were really asking about when they want to know if we were still together. Falling in love feels amazing, but it's also terrifying. The moment you admit to loving someone, you admit to having a lot to lose. And then she quoted from an article that said, Love didn't happen to us. We're in love because we made the choice to be in love. And she reflected on that and she said, I cringe a little when I look back on that now. Not because it isn't true, but because at the time I really hadn't considered everything contained in that choice. I didn't consider how many times we have to make that choice. How many times we have to make that choice about knowing whether or not he'll always choose me. I want the happy ending, but what I have instead is the chance to make the choice to love someone and the hope that he'll choose to love me back. And that is terrifying. But that's the deal with love. And her TED Talk ended. Um, and as someone, I thought this was interesting because as someone who both studies love as a scientist and who actually experienced it as a human being in her own Frankenstein-esque science experiment, uh, what is she getting at there? What does she understand as the question behind the question for people asking her about her own relationship? I think it's this. It's that falling in love is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's maybe one of the best of human experiences. But it's also one of the most terrifying why is that? Because as she says, to admit to love someone is to admit to having a lot to lose. That loving another person is an incredibly vulnerable position. But because we're people made in God's image, the image of a God who is love, we can't help but be drawn to it, can we? 
And so I would suggest for us tonight that the problem is this. Because we live in a world that's broken, the question that lurks behind a lot of our questions about love, romance, relationships, friendship, is how do I fall, not how do I fall in love, it's how do I keep the love? How do I have a love that stays? And so I want to talk about three things tonight. Three things. And it's this. That our love is necessary, that our love is covenantal, and that our love has to be grounded in God's love. Our love is necessary, it's covenantal, and it's got to be grounded in God's love. So my first point here, our love is necessary. This is Paul speaking in 1 Corinthians 13. And by the way, part of the hope for this sermon tonight is to redeem all the bad wedding homilies that you'll ever hear about this, because there's a lot out there. Um, So point one, love is necessary. If I speak in the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What's Paul saying there? I think he's saying that we approach life and love with a lot of if-then expectations on people and ourselves. If I can talk well and charm people, if I have power and I'm smart, if I'm sold out for the right causes, then of course I'll be the kind of person that will just have love. After all, I'm successful in everything else. Or if the person that I'm interested in has all of these traits, then of course they're the kind of person I need to date and marry. Like a lot of you may not be conscious of this, but in a lot of ways we kind of walk around campus with this kind of grocery list of attributes, right? Like what many of us want is kind of an it person in some major campus organization, someone who's passionate about some cause, who's respected not just by students but by the administration, who's driven and capable in going places, but who's also super fun and attractive. Essentially what we want is this charming astronaut underwear model who rescues endangered birds and has been invited to speak at the UN, right? Like if your list is anything like this and you're probably looking for someone Who's it going to require a lot of you? Who's it going to demand significant change on your part or sacrifice on your part? Who's pretty low maintenance with not much in the way of personal problems or family issues? Who always meets our needs, has very few needs of their own? In many ways, lots of us are looking for someone who's almost completely put together. And you see why this like, just leads us into pessimism, right? Like We're searching for this ideal person, perfectly happy, healthy, interesting, content with life. That needs to be them, right? But is that us? And does that person even really exist? And if you think that you found them, they're probably lying to you, or they don't know themselves very well. Um, And we certainly can't be that for someone else, can we? Like, if you know yourself at all, you know that that's not you. But the main problem is that we don't see deep friendships, or intentional dating, or even marriage, as a way to create character and community, I think. But as a way to reach kind of personal life goals. Like, being with this other person would just kind of be another relational resume builder. Like, when you're optimistically looking... For someone to place the full weight of all of your emotional, spiritual desires upon, then of course there's going to be deep disappointment that leads to pessimism. Like, this is never going to happen to me. These people are never fulfilling what I want most from them. Why don't I just give up? Well, who, like, who would be good enough to cre- cre- meet that criteria? Like, we're not even good enough to meet that criteria ourselves, are we? I think what's required of most of our wish list is two completely well-adjusted people. And if that's a requirement, then no one here is going to make it. The concept of marriage is kind of self-realization or self-satisfaction is selfish. It's about us, right? And it's put us in this position where we're wanting too much of our partner and at the same time not nearly enough from ourselves or from the relationship as a whole. And Christians should push harder on this than anyone else. We should be able to say, I can't fulfill you and I don't need to be fulfilled by you. But I think that for all your flaws, I can risk seeing 
if this is something that could go somewhere. Can you do that for me? Like, we can ask that of each other. All right, then what should we be looking for in a possible mate? Like, if astronaut underwear model is off the table, like, who's left, right? Um, there's a lot of people that are left on that table. But here's, here's my soapbox for tonight. That most of us don't need me to tell you that you need to date someone with the same worldview, who's your friend, and who you're at least somewhat attracted to. Like, those are things that you're already kind of thinking about. But I think the thing that holds most of us back from either not asking people out or consistently kind of rejecting potential folks is the fear of not taking the risk of putting ourselves out there. Like, how will I look if I say yes to this person? Or what if there's another person that's slightly closer to the astronaut underwear model ideal out there, and if I say yes to this person, then I can't say no to that closer ideal? Or how will I look if I ask this person out and they turn me down? Or if I do ask this person out, then what if I meet that other person somewhere else out there? There's like this FOMO element that's tied into it, isn't there? That the search for this perfect person is the search for a perfectly safe person who always makes you look good, he's never going to hurt you. That we have to be able to take a risk with people. That's what love is about, right? And for those of you who've never asked, who've asked someone out and got rejected, you should celebrate the fact that you took that risk. Like, you really should. Like, you put your heart out there to take a chance on another person, and that's hard and that's scary, especially when it doesn't work out. But that's really living. Like, that's really putting yourself into the world. And there's some of us who can learn a thing or two from that, right? So I want to suggest the following definition of love for y'all. That love is the ability to give yourself to another person, regardless of their circumstances or their stance towards you. That love is just inherently risky. As Mandy Lynn Catron said in the quote from the beginning of this, that to love another person is to choose to be vulnerable and to put yourself out there for a real person, not this fake kind of imaginary astronaut model, but a flesh and blood man and woman who's out right in front of you. Like, that's the scariest part of any relationship. But it's the only way to learn the most necessary of human experiences, which is how to love. Um, Y'all, in the last year, I've discovered a passion for something that I never knew I had a passion for, and that's this, it's gardening. I did not know, like, you, your 65-year-old neighbor and I have a lot more in common than you thought. Uh, I checked out a book on hydrangeas this summer. I've read a book cover to cover on roses. Like, I've, I'm into this stuff, y'all. It's, it's not good. Uh, but I'll go out. I love it because I'll go out sometimes early in the morning and I'll work for hours. I'll break up the soil. I'll till up the beds. I'll trim limbs off plants. I'll put new bulbs in the ground. I'll edge real well on the sidewalk so it just kind of pops off the curb. Like, it's so, man, it is so satisfying. You don't even know. <laughs> like, I'm in total dad mode when I'm doing it. And when I'm done, I'm just, I'm drenched in sweat. My hands have blisters. I'm tired. I'm covered in dirt. I'm a little dehydrated, if I'm honest with myself. I'm waiting for the anticipation of things to come up and to grow that, like, there's no guarantee on. Like, in the last year, I've discovered that gardening is this painful, wonderful, glorious thing that requires this patience without the guarantee that you're going to get any results out of it. And y'all, relationships are the same way. That you, to have a real relationship with a person, have to dig into each other's stuff and till that junk up. You've got to trust one another to look each other in the face and say, this thing that you love so much is a bad thing. And it's got to go. Like, you've got to tenderly plant things, like loving words, kind things into people's hearts. And that takes a long time. And there's not always a guarantee. There's not a guarantee. There's a risk. That when you enter into a relationship with a person, that the thing that you want to see there is not going to come around. But to have real relationships is to get dirty. It's to get tired. It's to put into another person with the guarantee that they're going to put into you. 
but it's love. And it's hard, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and it's necessary. So if that's the necessity of love, then how do we move forward into this? This is point two, that love is covenantal. Verses four through eight. Love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Y'all, love, love has to be permanent. And love can't be about itself. At some point, many of you in this room are going to start to date someone. It may not be tomorrow. It may not even be while you're at Carolina, but it will happen to you. But Simon, what if I'm cursed with the gift of singleness? Shh, shh. We'll talk about that later. (laughs) For right now, trust me on this, that many of you are going to date and many of you are going to get married. And how that will happen is that either you'll ask someone out or they'll ask you out. You'll go on some dates, you'll hold hands, you and your friends will stay up late dishing about how things are going. I know the words. (laughs) Bad nose. (laughs) And things will start to get really serious. You'll start to talk about major life plans together. You'll envision buying a house. You may even get to one of those internet sites where you can combine people's pictures so you can see if you have cute babies or not. Weird, but it's out there. Uh, And you're going to get engaged, and you're going to try not to resent your in-laws, but probably you will, and there'll be a ceremony and a minister and pictures (laughs) (laughs) and a honeymoon. (laughs) And uh, like, ah, you'll finally be married. And you'll start to settle into things. And you'll be sleeping in the same bed with another person every night. You'll be merging your bank accounts. You'll just generally be doing life together. But for many of us, y'all, like this is not where the story ends. Because you see, like with all the great stuff with marriage, you'll also start to find that previously this person that you couldn't keep your hands off was off, uh, is still attractive, but not irresistible like they were. They'll spend your money differently than you would. You can't use your money the way you used to. They're going to cross your will, and you're going to cross their will. And you will fight more with this person than you've ever fought with anyone. And they will get under your skin in ways that no one else can get under there. And this will all happen in the first like year or so. <laughs> for real. <laughs> and for some of you, this sinking feeling will come into your hearts, which you may or may not give a voice to, but it'll be this. It'll be, did I make a mistake here? Because I don't feel as happy being married to this person as I expected that I would be. And some of you will start to wonder, can I get out of this? And you heard it from me here first. Do not follow that thought. Tell it no. Because to follow that is to miss out on the real love that God has intended for you. You see, a real love relationship is not defined by how you feel towards one another, how attracted you are to one another, but by what each person is willing to give up for the long-term good of that other person. Y'all, this is not a call for two doormats to get together, but this is a call for gardeners to come and dig in each other's dirt. When the Bible talks about love, it talks about how much you're willing to re- not how much you're willing to receive from another person, but how much you're willing to give to another person. For some of y'all who are seriously dating, the question that y'all need to ask yourselves is, how much am I willing to lose for the sake of this person? How much freedom are you willing to forsake? How much honor, how much time, how much emotion, how many resources will you invest in this other person? And for that, y'all, the marriage vow is not just helpful, it is necessary. It's the real test of an enduring relationship. Because you realize that when you're saying you love someone, that biblically what you're saying is, 
I will strive to always be patient towards you. I will believe you when you tell me that I'm being selfish. I will not help you celebrate your secret pet sins, but I will help you root them out. And that is not always fun, but it's necessary. And it's precisely because of this that we can't treat love as this thing that's totally driven by what we feel. For love to be love, it needs a framework of binding obligation to make it fully what it should be. It has to have a covenant relationship where a man and a woman have bound themselves to each other's good, burned the boats, torn down the bridges, and just it's them together on the island. No matter what. It's not just intimate despite being legal. It's a relationship that becomes more intimate because it's legal and binding. I mean, think about this when you're dating or, and let me say how bad an idea this is, if you're considering living together, that in that sort of relationship, there are no guarantees. You have to daily prove your value by impressing, by enticing. You have to show the chemistry is there, the relationship is fun or fulfilling, or it could be over. You know, there's no guarantees. And you're basically in this consumer relationship that means constant promotion and constant marketing. But the legal bond of marriage means that you're permanently off the market. It creates a space of security where you can open up and reveal your true self. Where you can be this deeply flawed person. Where you can be vulnerable, where you don't have to keep up facades. Where you can really say what's hard about your past. Where you can really say what you think, you feel about this other person. Because they're not going anywhere. You know, you can lay down the last layer of defense and just be with that person. Emotionally, spiritually, physically. The blending of love and law and the covenant that we make in marriage... Fits our deepest instincts too, doesn't it? Because you know that on some level that it's not permanent if it if it's not it's not real love if it's not permanent. Think about how when you feel like you're in love with someone that you're almost driven to make like vow-like claims. The things that we say were in kind of the height of passion, and we know that if the other person feels the same way, they want us to they want to hear us say those things. Like I will always love you. I am not going anywhere. We're going to get a tattoo together. No, that's also a bad idea. Uh, <laughs> unless you get married, in which case, go for it. Uh, <laughs> real love, though, the Bible says, instinctively desires permanence. And you'll know that you have a serious relationship when you start to give up things for one another. Then instead of asking yourself, what are they giving me? You start to ask, what do I need to give to them for them to flourish for them to be healthy, for them to thrive and to be happy. The question we have to ask if we want to be a marriable person is how do I stay with this person and still love? And only if you commit yourself in, to love in action, day in, day out, even when feelings change, circumstances change, can you truly be a free individual and not a pawn of your heart, not a pawn of the outside forces that are around us. You know, to maintain love for someone when it's not thrilling, that means that you're really loving another person. So ask yourself, do you love the feelings? Do you love the ego, the rush, the experience that comes as people see you all on campus together holding hands? The buzz that's on social media, these two are together finally. Do you love that? Or do you really love them? And their goofiness and their messiness, their good as well as their bad. The proof of love is whether or not you still have an abiding concern and care for that other person. Even if at great personal cost to you, those things that you love are gone. Till death do us part in sickness or health, for richer or poor. Those are the vows that you hope to one day make. 
And only a covenant marriage can provide you with that. So this brings us to our last point. That, all right, all these things have to be grounded in God's love. Verses 9 through 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Well, if you don't get this final point, the message of dating, marriage, kind of sexuality is lost. Why is that? Because first you have to be married to the right person, and then you can get married to another sinner. What do I mean by that? I mean that our love for another person has to be grounded in God's love for us. That flipping this is the heart of almost all of our relational struggles. Do you know that because of the gospel, and what it says over you, is that God loves you even when you're sinning? Like, not like the five days after you sin, you feel guilty and ashamed about it, and you've prayed like whatever repenting prayer that you're going to pray, but God loves you in the moment when you're sinning. God sees you in your shame and your depravity. He says, I love you still. And y'all, that has to be the bedrock for all of our relationships. Because it's got to answer the deepest, deepest desires of our hearts. That can someone see me and know me, like really know me deep down and still love me? And if God can't say that to you, then no one else can say that to you either. And that's the power of the gospel to help us in our relationships. Think of it this way. You, know, you are unable to date God. There is no such thing as a casual relationship with a God who says that the essence of salvation is you and Him binding your destinies together forever. God cannot be a helpful appendage to your life. That doesn't work. He doesn't work that way. But we have to come to Him with 100% of ourselves. That means taking all of you, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the things you would never tell anybody, the good things that you would want to tell everybody, and giving that all over to Him and saying, just make me holy. Make me one with you. You'll save yourself the spiritual heartache and establish in your heart now that He's the only one that I can follow. He's the only one that can define me for me. Ultimately, He's the only one that can make sense of your life. And the greatest human marriage, no matter how good it is, will never be enough. Determine now what He says in His Word is absolutely binding and unchanging. And He doesn't accept wavering because in a marriage you can't flip-flop, right? And if He's married Himself to you, then there's no room for flip-flopping. There is no casual relationship with this God. Secondly, because the gospel provides a vulnerable but fixed relationship with God, it frees you to be vulnerable with other people who are risky. To let you look into my life and see the things I'm horribly insecure about. I need to know that there's someone who's already looked before you and said, I love you. I'm okay with you. This is at the heart of it all. Because y'all, when you get married to someone, that person is granted total access to you. You are not your own anymore. You can't go and come as you please. You have to build all of your life in reference to that other person, their desires, their work habits, their free time, their health, their college debt. Like You are bound to them, and they're bound to you. And some of you are thinking, I know, and I want that. Mm. But here's the hard part of marriage. Because what's going to happen is that you're going to be absolutely infuriated at some of those tiny things that are there. The way that they brush their teeth, the way they do or don't make the bed, how hot or how cold their coffee has to be, all of it is just going to drive you crazy at times. And you're going to find yourself not only infuriated, but also hardening towards them and stiffening up over the dumbest things. Because in both of those situations, your freedom, your individuality, your autonomy is threatened. And up from you will well up in anger that you could not imagine you were capable of 
or resolve to cut this person off. But that's the deal, that they get total access to you. And you have total access to them. And for some of you, you're going to feel absolutely trapped in marriage. And listen when I say this, because if you get nothing else from these talks in this semester, get this. That there is no trap like being trapped in a marriage that you don't want to be in. You can come to a room like this and just be full of the love of Christ and say, no, divorce is not an option. But if you get in a marriage that's demanding with another sinner who hurts you in real ways, you will be amazed at how quickly you can turn your back on all the stuff that you say you believe. And I think it's because at rock bottom, what you believe about marriage and believe about relationships, the deep core of our hearts is often that our happiness comes before all else. That if you get into a marriage to get your needs met, or even worse, to change the person, then you don't have a marriage. That some of you are hoping to get married because you want a heart slave. Someone who's constantly pledged to your every whim, who meet every social, psychological, emotional need of your heart. The gospel comes along with you, though, and says that no human being can bear that kind of weight. The only one who can bear that weight is Jesus. Do you see what that means? That we can't date God. We can't date Him. But also that love is not a feeling. It's an action. That love in the gospel is defined by service and going towards the other person. The gospel says that God doesn't quit on us or compromise His standards for us. That God easily could have made us um, His slaves instead of spouses. Or could have rejected us. But what did He do? He took the costly way. See, before He's crucified, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, what does He say? Is there any other way? Any other way into relationship with them? And God says, No. You're either going to die for that person or there is no salvation. One day, most of you are going to get married. And will you remember this one thing? That you're going to have to die for that person. There's going to come a time where they're not going to be your lover. They're not going to be your friend. But you'll have to love them as your enemy. And the only way to do that is in that day is if the God that you claim to worship has done the same thing for you. Don't you see? That's why I plead for you every week. To believe in the God of the Bible? Because you need to know that when He looks at you, what He sees. That He loves you, that He delights over you. That He's made someone who is an enemy into a spouse. And y'all, infinite patience begets infinite patience. Infinite love begets infinite love. Infinite humility begets infinite humility. To have those things, to be able to give those things. But to have a God who's a cruel taskmaster, who's never pleased with you, He's never happy with you. He never says, this is a good job. You can rest here. That will create a very frustrated cruelty in your own heart as well. And that will hurt whatever relationships you're in in the long term. But the truth of the Bible is that God looks at his people. At people who betrayed him as his enemies. At people who, spiritually speaking, are whores. And slaves to sin. And he says, that I don't want you to be a slave or a whore or an enemy. I want us to be together. I want us to be married. And so he goes to the cross. And he stays there not because we're lovely, but to make us lovely. And to make us able to love. And if this marriage thing is going to work, if this relationship thing is going to work, if we're going to be able to risk ourselves with other people in real love and commit ourselves to another person, then we've got to know that God committed himself to us first. We've got to live out of that. We've got to love that. We've got to worship out of that. That's my hope for you all tonight.
as always, that's an invitation to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. That you love us. That you've called us your children. That you marry us to the life and the death and the suffering of your son Jesus. Lord, help us to long for that day when your bride, the church, is perfected. When Jesus looks at us and we'll feel as clean as we actually are in him. Lord, help us to work towards that. Help us to persevere in that. Help us to love our neighbor and love you out of that. Out of that great hope. Out of the great sense of peace that comes with it. In your sense, we pray. Amen.